Hello, I'm David Mooney. And I'm Sam Lee. And this is Why Always Us, a Manchester City podcast from The Athletic. Each week we'll be looking at the main stories from the last seven days at City and we'll have the very latest big name interviews, breaking news and reaction to the big matches. This week, how did City get into the position of being banned from the Champions League for two seasons? What happens next? How likely is it that an appeal will be successful? And if it is or it isn't, what will that mean for the fans? And what will the knock-on effects of that decision be if it's upheld? Could it be a problem for the future of many star players and for Guardiola? This athletic podcast is brought to you by Bet365, the world's favourite online betting company. By downloading the Bet365 app, you can access both pre-match and in-play markets, along with instant match updates for all. The Bet365 Bet Builder also allows you to make personalised bets via the app, so you can bet on multiple scenarios and create your own bets with unique odds right there in your hands. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sports betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Stores. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Now, Sam, I was playing football between six and seven on Friday night so I walked off the pitch to find that my phone was going absolutely mad I'm sure what we all wanted was a Valentine's Day with some big breaking news that City had been banned from the Champions League for two seasons to add to the quiet night in or expensive meals that we all had planned Um, I'm a fan of the club I'm not and I've never been someone who tries to understand football economics so my first question this week is how on earth has this all happened big 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 question I mean how it's happened I guess is it was around 2008, 2009, around the time of the takeover, you know, UEFA said, oh, we need to curb debts in European football. And then a few years later, various twists and turns, um, it was, yeah, the financial fair play was born. Um, it kind of limited what clubs can spend, What obviously with a goal to reducing debt across European football. Um, you know, City were just kind of making their name at this point. The new owners, they just won the title, uh, the Premier League title. Um, you know they'd spent money on players to, to get a team worthy of winning the title and, and all of this so we're talking around 2012-ish yeah 2012-ish yeah it started from that point and you know ultimately the, the period that has done for City now is between 2012 and 2016 um, and what yeah the, the situation they've been in because in 2014 they got fined around £50 million pounds, um, for not complying with financial fair play which was basically they spent too much they're making too many losses you know, there's all sorts of ins and outs with that, and there's City saying, you know, UEFA move the goalposts and all this kind of stuff. Very difficult to know exactly what went on there, because it just depends entirely on who you believe. So it was a fine then, and you know, City kind of took it. They had a reduced squad in the Champions League and moved on. PSG got a fine as well for the same kind of stuff. But then the the difference now, and the reason they've been banned from the Champions League, is not because, you know, they they spent too much or they made too many losses. It was because they are, according to UEFA, or they have, according to UEFA, inflated their sponsorship fees. And this all goes back to the end of 2018 when Der Spiegel, um, one of the German newspapers, worked in conjunction with Football Leaks um, to publish a load of documents, which were basically internal emails from it, from City, um, and some of them were saying, look, like, reveal details of the sponsorship agreement. For example, Etihad, the main sponsor of the stadium and, and the shirts, um, it was claimed in these emails from one city employee to another, oh, don't worry, you know, Etihad only have to put in 8 million, um, the Sheikh will pay for the rest, which is like 50, another 50 odd million. So then obviously, part of that is fair market value. You can't, part of financial fair play is, UEFA can't have clubs going, oh yeah, well, we've got this sponsorship and it's worth 300 million pounds and it's from, you know, my next door neighbor or this company I own. Um, so yeah, City then kind of, 
they'd admitted, even though they were in these emails, and again, another strand of this is how were the emails obtained? Are they admissible if they were hacked and all this kind of stuff? I think there's a different burden, so it's not a criminal. You know, it's, it's not, not criminal it's prosecution. Not criminal prosecution. Yeah. So, and you know, when I spoke to, you know, sports law experts in 2018 to see what would happen with all this, I asked, oh yeah, what about these hacked documents? Would it make any difference the fact that they were hacked or allegedly illegally obtained? And I spoke to three people, one of which had worked on like FFP cases at CAS with AC Milan, and they didn't seem to think like the consensus was that it would be okay. So. I know City fans still have some consternation about that. But yeah, so basically, City have been found to have artificially inflated their sponsorship agreements to to give themselves more income, basically, because they've allegedly been using sponsors from Abu Dhabi related to the club's Abu Dhabi owners to put more money into the club when, for argument's sake, fair market value would have been £10 million for one deal. They've been saying, well, this company's actually given us £60 million and it's up to UEFA to decide what is fair market value. But then another strand is PSG had a very similar case 18 months ago. That got thrown out because the chief investigator, Yves Leterme, the guy who has brought this case against City, he decided that PSG's valuations of their uh, sponsorship agreements were more or less what PSG said. There was an independent valuation that said, this is actually more like 5 million, whereas PSG said it's more like 100 million. And in the end, the term they went, oh, yeah, it's probably more like 96 million or whatever. And it's like, well, <laughs> how have you come to that? So, yeah, there's a lot of consternation among City fans that like, other clubs have been doing it, the UEFA have been letting other clubs off and all this kind of stuff. But, I mean, fundamentally, City haven't proved that these emails where they were, you know, internal emails discussing what they, what they were doing and their attempts to get around financial fair play, they haven't proved that those emails were faked or taken out of context. And that is what they're going to have to now prove if they want to clear their name. They do say that they've been taken out of context. So, like, I mean, I think you raised the question today, why not just put them in context? Yeah, exactly. They've said all along. Like, and even when the Der Spiegel stuff came out straight away and everyone was speculating what's going to happen here and UEFA pretty quickly announced there was an investigation. City didn't say, you know, the City didn't put out a particularly strongly worded comment. I, I remember PSG power statement saying, look, there's no way any of this is true and we'll fight it. Um, City were kind of like, we're not going to comment on this. Um, the emails have been taken out of context and the like, basically the, the agenda against the club is organised and, and clear. Um, so that's been City's position all the way through. That, yeah, these emails that say, oh, look, don't worry, we can do what we want, or don't worry, this is only, you just have to pay $8 million, the Sheikh will pay the rest. That looks terrible. That looks terrible. And fine, that might not be that might not be the full picture, but if City are saying they're taking out of context, then just, just put it in context. Just print everything. And the other, the, other side of, the other side of it, going way back, and I know this is a bit waffly, but honestly, it's been, you know, for 72 hours, it's just been mayhem, really. Um, but the other part of the reason City got banned for two years is UEFA said they didn't comply with the investigation. They didn't cooperate with the investigation. Which So if City's case all along is, well, this inve investigation isn't fair, we're not. what's the point? I mean, that's certainly an interesting stance to take. And maybe they will go to Cass and say, actually, here you go. Here are all the emails. Here's why we didn't comply with these guys, because this, this, and this. And maybe Cass will say, oh, you've actually, actually got yeah. a point. But the interesting thing with that is, again, as I tweeted on Monday... City could well get this thrown out by arguing that um, UEFA's process or there was a, an abusive process and City have been saying, look, UEFA said from the outset they wanted to ban us and they have banned us. Well, that, City, so have City's, they thrown out everything in between? Well, City's line has been that it, it was a case brought by UEFA 
um, prosecuted by UEFA and then judged by UEFA. Yeah. And th- that, um, I'm assuming that's what they'll play on. Yeah, exactly. I'm not sure that's strictly true because there's like, there, there are independent QCs on that panel and they will have decided, oh yeah, this is bad. But I mean, I suppose if City were to allege that those independent QCs were still part of UEFA and they were still subject to the same kind of pressure, I know they've been saying that you know PSG and Real Madrid in particular, Bayern Munich clubs like this have put pressure on in the last couple of months in particular. So maybe they could argue that these guys were subject to that kind of pressure. But yeah, I mean, if, City are, if City are going to claim or even win on the basis that there was an abusive process and that UEFA have ignored loads of evidence just so they could ban City, which is apparently what they always wanted, that, that's still not really absolving City. That's still, you know, we could sit here and say, as journalists, as fans fans of City, fans of other clubs, we could say, well, what about those emails though? Fine, you got this overturned and you're not banned from the Champions League because UEFA have messed up and UEFA actually need to have a look at themselves and they need to have a look at some other clubs. But we could still say, well, what about those emails then? And what about these sponsorship agreements? How, how do you what, explain yeah, that? And maybe they won't, maybe they won't, but maybe they will. And the way I'm, the way I'm kind of talking about this is it's still not finalised. It's the same kind of approach I took Last summer, you know, when City had just won the treble and there was a lot of talk about, oh, and they face, they face a ban from transfers. You know, they face a transfer embargo for signing young players. I was like, yeah, they are being investigated for that, which you need to mention. But we don't know what the result is yet. And fine, we do know the result of this by UEFA. But the analogy I've been using is it's like a Champions League knockout tie. This is effectively the first leg. And, you know, it's like it reminds me of the City-Monaco game. City's got five <laughs> goals in that. And you come out of it thinking that was a great win for City. Huge win. They're going to be fine. The closer you get to the second leg, you think, well, hold on a minute. They've got three away goals. You know, this could yeah. still go either way. Still and I'm balance. thinking, so it looks terrible for City now. And it may well be terrible. And it is terrible. But this second leg is going to be Cass. And there may well be elements that City can use against UEFA. And it may well get overturned. This game is quite a surprise on Friday night. Yeah, horrible surprise, if I'm honest. Like, from the point of view of... Look, last week's podcast, we explained quite a lot about the messy stuff and what goes into a story and that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, that's a story that hasn't come off yet. But this is a story that we did do and quite patently didn't pan out how we expected it to, to go. So not only, was a, not only was the shock from my point of view, bloody hell, I'm not going to have a quiet Valentine's night. I'm not going to have a <laughs> quiet weekend. I'm not going to have these few days off that I was hoping for. I had the... I had the thing of, we did a big story that went against the grain and said, City aren't going to get banned from the Champions League. And all of a sudden, you know, because I know that upset other journalists. I know there are other journalists who cover this kind of stuff. And they thought, I don't know, like, there was some insinuation that it had come from City, that it was some kind of cover-up to cover up for the fact that the next day that the first cast appeal got overturned. Um, I don't know, maybe some just general anti-athletic these upstart sentiment about it. But, I mean, at the end of the day, yeah, we did do the story that a lot of people would have known about, and then it's wrong. And, you know, especially with these stories, City fans would have seen it and gone, oh, that's brilliant. Look, for, like, I'm in a fortunate position where hopefully I still am, but certainly was trusted. So if I do a story like that, people will go, that's trustworthy, we can, we can believe that. So you've kind of got that burden there of you've got people's hopes up and you were wrong. And you've also got a bit of it of, you know, there's going to be other journalists who very much enjoy this, which, you know, you can, you can shake off. It's not much of a problem. Um, but, yeah, so it was a surprise. Um, but I think it was a surprise for everybody. You know, City, City have been preparing for this cast case all along. You know, they call it cast. The first cast one two. was yeah. cast one. This is cast two, which you, you could take as kind of evidence that they were, they were always going to, they knew they were going to have cast two. But as far as I know, it's evidence that, 
they're always preparing for it just in case because you've got 10 days to launch an appeal. What are they going to do? Scramble around. It's like when the transfer window, people don't try and sign a player the first day of the transfer January, window. January the 1st. Let's yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, oh, we better call this guy. You know, you do the legwork before. So, yeah, City had been planning this a long time. But, yeah, genuinely the information was me. Because I, I heard it first off, went to a colleague, because we were both sceptical. Because how many times have there been stories about FFP and it's going to be this decision and we're going to hear this soon and you're going to get this. And then it, nothing happens. You know, it had been over a year this investigation was going on for. Um, so Matt, the other writer, he was, he was sceptical at first when I told him. And then, you know, he heard from some of his sources. And it wasn't just at City, you know, sources um, linked to it. I can't give away too much. But, but yeah, yeah linked link to the case, knew what was going on. And the other part of it was something was happening in December. So we did the story in November because it was just after the Zagreb game. No, Milan game. So we did it in... Atalanta you know, game in Milan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we did it in November. Um, and the, the whole thing was, and again, there was, it was reported in other areas as well that there was going to be something in December. This announcement was going to be made in December. And then it didn't happen. And I remember John, a goal, he reported in December, oh, it's been put back until January. And I was like, well, thank God somebody's reported that because I'd have been worried thinking, hold on, I thought it was going to be December. Where's it gone? So it, it was pretty much established that something was going to happen in December. And then the other part of it was we didn't know about Silver Lake, the £500 million investment, $500 million, sorry, investment from the US, which was announced at the start of December. But um, it was put to us after that, before you know UEFA's decision had been announced. You know, Silver Lake they wouldn't have put in five hundred million dollars. I find there might, there might be all kinds of clauses that you know if City have lied to them for whatever reason, or you know if that's what's yeah. found, they could maybe get out of it. But the whole the whole thing after that was Silver Lake wouldn't have put in this much money if they'd have thought a Champions League ban was coming. So something has, as far as I know, something has changed. There was obviously always an intention from UEFA to 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 ban City but there was some kind of feeling and you know Alexander Cheferin the UEFA president was at City that he was at that Shakhtar Donetsk game the night before the Silver Lake stuff was announced and it was all like okay so UEFA are here this is the first time he's been there as an official guest relations are thawing there was some conversation between you know UEFA officially and City and it was looking like okay there's not going to be anything here and then bang Friday night it all two, happens. Two-year Champions League ban and everyone was shocked because I think even people who were probably sceptical about our story probably thought either there might be something in that or even if they had nothing to do with our story or didn't know what to think of it one way or the other, they probably thought UEFA went out the balls to do it. Yeah. And they did. Yeah. But City think there's been a lot of pressure from other clubs. Well, Oli Kay wrote something similar for The Athletic over the weekend. Uh, this this is what he's had to say to the Wire Wizards podcast. Let me start by saying I am not really a great fan of FFP. I like some of the principles in terms of trying to keep clubs within their means and not putting themselves at risk. Uh, but I've said from the very start, um, nearly 10 years ago now, that there are so many serious financial equalities within European football and FFP only addressed one or two issues. It did nothing to protect clubs from exploitative or incompetent owners. It did nothing to protect clubs from leveraged buyouts or from debt. It did nothing to address the huge yawning chasms that exist between the mega-rich clubs in Europe, by which I mean the top 10 or so, which of course now include Man City, and the rest. Or the huge yawning chasms that exist between the dominant clubs in each league, by which I mean the one or two who are in the Champions League or Europa League every year, and the rest. And it's created these huge and basically unbridgeable divides within leagues and between leagues. And for a great number of clubs, the only possible way they can ever hope to bridge those divides is through external investment. And with 
with FFB, that becomes extremely difficult to achieve. None of this was addressed with FFP because the dominant voices are those of the most powerful clubs, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, Manchester United and so on. None of those clubs wanted to clamp down on debt or make it a more level playing field. And it's pretty obvious why when Michel Platini allowed the clubs to have their say on FFP, they turned it into something much narrower than what he previously had in mind. So broadly speaking, I've been on the same page or same side as a lot of Man City fans when it comes to FFP. It's not a protectionist racket, but it has served to ring fence those self-interested elite clubs and protect them to a large degree from their own incompetence, which has probably become more relevant over the past few years in one or two cases. We can probably guess who I'm talking about. But whether I like FFP or not, and whether Man City or PSG or anyone else likes FFP or not, those rules exist. They've been in place for years now. Whether they like it or not, clubs have to abide by them. If they don't, they're punished. As simple as that. City were punished in 2014. It felt like a very heavy punishment at the time, but we now know that the sanctions that were agreed between the club and Gianni Infantino were a lot more lenient than those that others at UEFA wanted at the time. It also appears... How can I say this without getting myself into legal difficulty? It appears that... City were rather creative when it came to what came to what they submitted to UEFA. Now, what we talk about here are we talk about David Silva levels of creativity, Samir Nasri, Ali Benabia. They were they were certainly creative, unless of course you want to believe that what is really creative and a complete fabrication is the football football leaks files published in Der Spiegel. Now, some City fans I know want to believe that that it's all false, nothing nothing of it true, but. I know that nobody at the club has ever disputed their authenticity. Now, I can totally understand why City and the supporters feel they are under attack. I can understand why people look at this, the headline on my piece where I said that their belligerent approach, the club's belligerent approach, smacks of extreme arrogance and decide that I'm pursuing some kind of hashtag agenda against the club. Look, I am not at all. I think there are certain journalists who have leapt on this because they and genuinely, sincerely, rather than through any innate bias against the club, have this fairly militant, zealous approach on the subject of FFP, and they regard City as the enemy of that. That is not me, and it's not Sam Lee, and it's not Matt Slater, or Danny Taylor, or Adam Crafton, or David Ornstein, or anyone else at The Athletic. There are certain other journalists who seem happier to look the other way and pretend none of this is happening, or to claim that it's all one great big conspiracy. They are the ones who a lot of City fans seem to be infatuated by at the moment, and praising them for their wonderful journalism, saying that it's great, balanced journalism. Personally, I would question that. And then there are other journalists like me, and while I can't speak for anyone else, I would say that everyone at The Athletic falls into this category, um, who are in this vast middle ground in, in the middle. Because whether I like these rules or not, they are there and they have to be abided by. If those rules are there and a club breaks them and seems to take great pride in going out of its way to find elaborate ways to beat the system and ride roughshod over the rules, then it would be wrong for a club to escape punishment. I know there are a lot of City fans who like to think their club are the good guys in this, that the people in Abu Dhabi are simply fighting for truth and justice and purity and righteousness. Everyone likes to think their club is whiter than white, purer than pure, that, they're, that they are good and everyone else is evil. I don't think that at all. On one side, you've got UEFA who are criticised for setting up a flawed system. Then there are the big, powerful sort of heritage clubs, as some call them, that I would criticise for protecting that flawed system. And then there are clubs who appear to think that because the system is flawed, 
they don't need to conform to the same rules that everyone else does. It's not a case of good versus evil. I really don't think there are any good guys in 21st century football. It's amazing how easy it is to see that when you're out of that bubble and you're simply reporting on, on what goes on. It's just various self-interested parties fighting against each other. And the rules exist to try to make that fight as fair for everyone as it can be. I don't think UEFA have got it right as far as the rule book is concerned, but once the rules are there, you've got to play along with them, whether you like them or not. So Sam, when when you hear what Ollie's kind of saying there, mm. um, it is a bit of what what aboutery, I suppose, from City. They, they say everybody else is, is kind of doing the same sort of thing. Yeah, um, I suppose the only other thing I could probably add, is, which is why City fans feel aggrieved, which doesn't justify what City have allegedly done, is the fact that yeah, PSG had a similar thing, where... UEFA, or some being a part of UEFA because there was another part um, that dis- disputed how they'd come to that um, decision where they found that, oh yeah, well PSG are okay, the, their their sponsorships are probably what they say they are. So yeah, um, it's it's very difficult for me to pick a, a hole in what Ollie was saying. I know on Sunday I was arguing with a few City fans who were very unhappy with the tone of the output on The Athletic, but I mean if you listen to that, you know, that's that's as even-handed as you're yeah. going to get, really. And yeah, and he, you know, he mentioned there are journalists who are very much kind of, you know, these are the rules that need to be abided by, and financial fair play is, I don't know, I don't know if they think it's fantastic, but they certainly think City are a terrible club. And you know, I, I can understand the view that people think City are a terrible club. You know, if you look at all these leaks, and you look at how it's um, all, all the, all the ways they've they've supposedly gone about this, I can see why people really dislike the club. Um, but I think you know. But I think you can also balance that out with, as Ollie said, nobody's whiter than white. And there's no club that could stand and say, you know, who without sin cast the first stone. That kind of situation. I think that's how it is. And yeah, I think we're just going over old ground again now, basically. But the the only thing I would I might argue with with rules are rules is I don't know if, I don't know if this is really bad what aboutery. But in the same way, are the same are the same people saying, well, rules are rules for the FFP stuff when it comes to armpit offsides. Do you see what I mean? The offside law is the offside law. If you're offside by yeah. an armpit. And yet yeah. a lot of people have got a problem with that. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm sure it is what about her, but I'm sure there's there's some what about But I'm a city fan I'm allowed to sense. do that. I mean <laughs> Well I suppose there are some parallels there. It's like the like the handball rule as well. You know, if you if it's your hand foot like it just seems that's yeah. just way too absolute and people don't want it and they want to get rid of it um so yeah and i mean we're going down a big hole here and i'm not like going out my way to defend city or city fans but i think there's a you know there are there's a lot of outrage and a lot of it is justified but i think there's a lot of a special outrage because it's like oh well that's another club and it doesn't matter whether it's city or if i had have been united and look if i had have been united then city fans would have been outraged by it and if i had have been liverpool then City, City fans United would have been, fans outraged, would have been by outraged by it. And it's just, because it's City, yeah, it's, it's the same as if I'd have been anybody else. But there's, there is that extra outrage because football fans use whatever they can to, to have a go at other clubs. So, yeah, and there's, there's no sympathy. There's not much sympathy coming from City. Like there is where, like there is when, you know, there's an offside, an armpit offside where, like, well, this affects everyone and this isn't fair. It's kind of like, well, you know, the rules, as Ollie say as Ollie said and as, as a lot of people have said the rules as they are they do suit a lot of the existing clubs they don't suit clubs who might want to be taken over they don't suit Everton who want to, who might want to be in City's position they don't suit 
Newcastle, they wanted to get a big takeover. They don't suit City anymore. You know, if they don't suit City from wanting to spend their money, and fine, you could argue justifiably that if City were allowed to spend their money unfettered, then I mean, God knows how much they would have spent by now. Yeah. You know, would anyone have been able to keep up? So there's that. There's that to say for FFP. But yeah, like there's not too many people going into bat for City, even though you know there are reasons why it is fair to probably look at FFP and say. Not sure about that. But again, if I make that case now, that's because, oh, I'm the Man City correspondent and I'm just doing it so I'll keep getting access yeah, from the club. Yeah. And my access from the club is almost zero, by the way. <laughs> I wish people would actually look into that before they say it. Um, but yeah, if you, if you make any kind of sympathetic case for City at the moment, it's almost as if like you're going into that for them. It's like there's nobody with that without any sort of... Uh, any there's an angle to, yeah. to, ev- to everything. And I mean, it suits a lot of people. It, it suits a lot of people to use City as an example. And fine, um, because at the end of the day they have broken the rules. But again, there's just a little bit extra to it where yeah. it's like, well, let's not let's not throw out all the arguments. Like we, everyone can learn something from this. Yeah, and like City fans can as well. You know, if it comes to all the appeals and there's no more, I mean, maybe maybe if the CAS say no and the European Court say no, maybe it comes to ten years and every court in the world has come against Man City and found against Man City. Maybe fans will go, oh, maybe we were wrong then. But you know, there's there's something to be learned from everyone here. Like UEFA. Including, like, if UEFA's process is wrong, if City are still guilty of what they've done, but UEFA's process is wrong, then there's two wrong parties. In yeah. It. And then we can talk about the... Yeah, and then if City go, oh, yeah, and what about PSG? And what about Juve with this Fiat deal? And what about Bayern Munich with this Audi deal? Then it's like, oh, actually, they do have a point. You might dislike them. They may have acted wrongly. And I think they might. They may well have. But they may have a point. And that isn't me going into bat for City. You know, that's just... That's just it, being it is what something. it is. Just, it is what it is. Yeah. So that's how we got to this situation, Sam. Uh, my next question is, what happens next? City are adamant that they've done nothing wrong. They've issued a statement being quite quite strong on that matter. Um, what, what do you make of City's position and, and kind of what will happen in the next few, next few stages? Yeah, well, so they've always, always, always been absolutely adamant, privately as well as publicly. You know, and pub, the public stance has always been there's an organised and clear attempt to, to damage the reputation of the club um, we've not done anything wrong. Um, we can prove this, but is that just a stance for the sake of you know public appearances, or do they genuinely believe that? And can they genuinely believe that when we've got all these emails going around saying we can do what we want, and you know don't worry, we'll we'll find the extra money from somewhere, you know all this kind of stuff. Fine, if they were taken out of context, then fine, we'll see that. I, I presume at Cass, but you know if not then City's stance about we've not done anything wrong, that is a disingenuous stance. Um, and then that goes forward to Cass. So, you know, City have got 10 days to appeal. I mean, it may maybe by the time this podcast comes out, they'll do it. But it's probably going to be by the end of the week anyway. City will say, right, we've gone to Cass. And then we will find out. Um, first off, it seems that they will the Cass will find a date to get this sorted out as soon as possible. But it might be so complicated that they may want to do it as soon as possible, but it's so complicated. It does take a long time. I was going to say, is there a chance that they'll be in next season's Champions well, League? Well, yeah, on? but then I think if it does get delayed because it takes so long, there may well have to be a separate hearing where... Because if you wait for, say, no, you're not playing in the Champions League, you're not, you're not getting around this while we wait. You know, like when clubs try to appeal their transfer bans and try and get it delayed by six months so they can actually sign all the players they need yeah. and then go, it doesn't matter. UEFA might say, no, you're not getting around this. And then but you've then, got to have a separate hearing. But then hearing there may to... be a separate hearing where, they, where City go to Cass and say, hold on, 
innocent until proven guilty or whatever, or maybe not because they have been found guilty, but people can, you know, debate the merits yeah. of that guilt or whatever. But yeah, so it's uncertain at the moment how long this is going to drag on for. But yeah, City will go to Cass, and they have always said they're innocent of it and they'll be able to prove that. The statement on Friday night said, you know, it was more along the lines of this is an abusive process and, you know, UEFA have always wanted a ban and they've just, they've basically conducted an investigation which has ultimately led to us getting a ban. So that's wrong. But what I want to know, what I was tweeting about on Monday is if City get off with a ban from the Champions League because UEFA have messed up their process, does that make them any morally better off? morally and reputationally are people going to say no one's going to have any sympathy for City if City can prove if City go to Cass and say here's all the emails and Cass go bloody hell they've literally just picked off they've made this up you know football leagues have made this up their Spiegel have made this up you have to pay Man City damages and it's irrefutable then people are going to you know then Man City will be completely in the right everyone will be going god sorry City we really you know yeah. we really doubted you know we really messed up but if they don't prove that and all of a sudden, Cass have said, okay, well, UEFA have messed up with their process, so you're not banned from the Champions League. People are still going to say, well, City did that anyway. And they've, maybe they've had to pay £80 million as a fine instead. That's still wrongdoing. You know, it's still, that is not behaviour that anybody will find palatable. That's not behaviour that people will be able to justify just because they don't like the rules. If, if City can't prove in court that those emails are out of context or are fabricated, then reputationally, they may well be in the Champions League, but nobody's going to be queuing up to apologise for them. Well, Everyone's I was going to be saying, well, UEFA need to sort themselves out. But City, you've still done, you've still done a massive amount of wrong here. I was going to say, at what cost does pursuing the defence take on this one? Like, on, in terms of a reputational damage, if, if it goes on and on and on for years and years and years, like you say it does, it, that feeling of no sympathy is just going to, it's going to amplify. Yeah, and it's almost like, to what benefit there? Like, if, if they get to Cass and Cass go, no, sorry, lads, you're banned from the Champions League for two years, and they go, right, we're going to the Swiss court, and that takes a couple of years, they're going to be banned from the Champions League at that point. So they're going to miss out from the revenues, and they're going to have to work harder to comply with financial fair play in terms of they might not be able to spend, they might not be able to, you know, have a bigger net spend, you know, but they might not be able to spend more than what they're bringing in on transfers because they'll need to make sure they're not making losses for that period they're out of the Champions League so they can actually qualify to get back in it. And then legal costs, you know, these legal costs, this famous line from the emails of, because again, when they were, as Ollie mentioned, when they kind of negotiated this punishment from UA for the first time, which by all accounts is normal, you know, if big businesses are negotiating their punishments with regulators, that's normal, you know, they, that's, that's, that's regular. People don't like it, but it's, it's relatively it's normal what happens, across yeah. industries, yeah. Um, but when they said, you know, we will, we can spend 10 years on the world's best lawyers or whatever, and, you know, if, that's, if that scares UEFA, maybe UEFA think, oh, we really don't want that. But maybe UEFA are thinking, you know, we'll call City's bluff on this. Because, like you say, if this is two years down the line and they're going to the Swiss court, the European court, all, all of that, and they've been banned from the Champions League anyway, and they've kind of served their time. Is it just going to be? Is it, it just going to be a vendetta? Then it's going to be like, well, we're going to show UEFA. And what is it? Is it like, well, we're? And then that's purely just vengeance, then, really, isn't it, against UEFA? But you would have to say, if you felt, and certainly people on the outside of the club will feel this, if they say, so you were found guilty by UEFA, you were found guilty by Cass, you have sent all these emails, these emails were legit, you have inflated sponsorship, and you're just suing UEFA now anyway. Like, there might be good reason to tear down FFP, 
But people will be like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, what, what there, are there, you com- doing? there comes a point in that process where surely it's better to go, yeah, all right, and then it's like, sorry. Yeah, and it's, and it's like, and as much, in terms of sympathy, so like I say, there probably would be an element of, because before it looked like PSG could go to the court as well and tear down FFP, but now PSG seems to be on the right side of it, which is, again, another point of consternation for City fans. But if somebody went to court to tear it down, and I know other people have, you know, like in a similar way to Bosman, there have been lawyers and agents who have been trying to do this anyway. But if City were, like, if another club were to do it, people would go, yeah, maybe that's good for the game. You know, if Leicester wanted to do it, or like a group of clubs got together, people would be like, oh, yeah, this is actually good. But again, because it's City, and because they've done wrong, and because basically it would look like, even if this isn't the motivation, it would look like they're trying to tear down FFP. Because it's in their own interest. Because it's in yeah. their own interest, and because they're the ones that have been found guilty of it. It would basically end up looking like Man City against football. You know, when you see, you know, the. the you know, the, the state versus OJ Simpson or whatever. It would yeah. be football versus Manchester City. That's how it would look. Whereas, like I say, if Leicester and Inter Milan and... Everton. And Hatafe <laughs> and Everton went, we're going to take down FFP because this isn't fair. There would be a lot of sympathy there. But if it got to this stage two years down the line where City have served their ban and they're still going for it and they've been found guilty, then it would just look like, what is going on? And would City then decide it's worth it? And then I suppose we get into the big ownership if- issues of what's left... Are they going to build it up and go again and comply with FFP as it is? Or uh, this is kind of something the City fans don't like to, to contemplate. And also because people have been saying it from the start. People have been saying it for 10 years. Oh, what happens when the Sheikh gets bored? He picks up his ball and goes home. It's not happened. There's been no indication of that happening. But, you know, if it were to get two years down the line and they've got no change out of UEFA whatsoever and they can't run the business how they want to run it, I don't know. Uh, you, uh, there may be some point where they think, is it worth spending 100 million on lawyers over the next 10 years or are we just going to stop and carry on with the business or are we just going to think this hasn't gone how we want it? Now, understandably, some City fans are concerned about what happens next, perhaps more in the long term than the short term. Yeah, so there might be a couple of years without Champions League football, but what could that do for Guardiola? What about their future transfer targets as well? So should we be worried about any knock-on effects this could have? Well, I mean, like I mentioned earlier, if they've got to be more careful with losses, so they're not making too many losses, so they don't fail FFP again in future, then they might not be able to have a net spend of 50 million. They might not be able to spend 200 million and bring in 150. They might have to bring in 150 and spend 50, you know, to, for, that, for that kind of thing. So then your pulling power is different. You can't spend the same amount of money. And, you know, if you're going for... If for argument's sake, Sancho, I don't, I'm not sure. I think there was a bit of talk last week that City don't want Sancho anyway. But for argument's sake, if you want a player like that, or if you want any kind of player and you say, come and play for us, oh yeah, we haven't got the Champions League, by the way. Um, I mean, maybe City could still offer them a big contract, but then there wouldn't be clauses in that relating to, oh yeah, if you play in the Champions League, you get these bonuses. Um, so that, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's an obvious impact. The other impact is, this seems too simplistic, but they posted a profit of 10 million last year, and Champions League income was 77 million, not including gate receipts. So throw the gate receipts on top of that, you've got near 100 million. If you just take that out of the budget, is it 90 as simple million as missing, yeah? Are you in 90 million pounds worth of debt, or do you make losses? And then if you do, you fail in FFP. But then you think, well, United and Chelsea have been out of the Champions League for a few years. And, you know, they've not failed FFP. Is that, I don't know, is that because they still get revenues from Europa League? Like, it must be survivable. It, sh- it can't be just the case that City go 90 million in the hole. But 
if they do go a bit, you know, if they go for whatever sake, they got 20 million less and they go, they're 10 million in the hole, they can't spend over and above that to make it worse. You know, they do need to be careful. And it might not be the case that, oh, we need to be careful who we're signing here or we, need to, we can't sign the players we want to sign. They might think, we actually need to sell someone. We need to sell Leroy Sane and not replace him. And maybe the year after they might think, we actually need to sell Raheem Sterling and replace him with, you know, someone from the academy or buy somebody for 30 million or something that they've had to work a bit harder to scout who hasn't got European experience or whatever. So, yeah, if, if there are losses from the Champions League, then it's not so much, oh, yeah, players will want to leave. It might be that they, they, might, have to sell, they might have to sell a player or something like that. So there's, there's all kinds of, of knock-ons. The other question that comes in a lot is, is will there be players that, that say, actually, I can't go two years without Champions League football? Supposedly. I mean, it's part of the information that was thrown around in our communications channels at the weekends, you know, with people speaking to agents near the players and, and, you know, a lot of the opinions from those agents involved in it and close to some of the City players was, you know, some of these guys, you know, with the, with the World Cup coming up and all that, no way would they want to be without the Champions League for a couple of years. Like, even the nicest guys will, you know, think about their careers and, and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I, I, suppose that's, I suppose that's normal, really. And it's a, a lot of people have been worried about a potential uh, Premier League points deduction. In terms yeah. of, of when that could happen, this season is better than any, I suppose. Yeah. Well, I suppose the only other thing about... Um, the players wanting to leave. The other side of that is obviously Raheem Sterling's agent has come out on the record, which is very rare in these kind of stories. All those people who go, oh, there's no quote in your story because that's not how it works. You know, uh, It never been, has been how it works. So it's so rare that an agent, especially a high-profile one, would come out and say he's going to stay. It's only normally Gareth Bale's agent who does it every six to nine months in Madrid. And I, as far as I've heard, as well, Kevin De Bruyne has already said, don't worry, I'm Committed not going to go it. anywhere. Yeah. Again, that's not a, an on-the-record agent thing. That's a, more of a... I understand it from sources kind of stuff. Um, anyway, a points deduction, it's, it's a possibility. It's a possibility. Um, Premier League... Would that, would that be this season? Well, again, don't know. You um, as far as I know, the Premier League aren't specifying on that. I mean, but it could be between this period of 2012 and 2016, if they think it was relevant to that period, maybe it would be previous. And then if they deduct 10 points from every season, for argument's sake, which would be a lot of points. But if they were to deduct, you know, if they were to deduct points from those kind of seasons... You know, that would be one of the title seasons. That would be the 2014 title win under Pellegrini. I don't, I don't know if that's possible or not, but point deduction is possible. But the, the thing with the Premier League is it almost feels like they just had to follow in UEFA and investigate anyway. Um, UEFA allow losses of 30 million euros over three years. I think the Premier League's like 100 million euros a year. 100 million pounds a year you can lose. So it's much greater. But then obviously if they go, actually you've deceived us and you've said that these sponsorships are worth this much and they're not, maybe they will. But maybe they're like, maybe they'll, I don't know, maybe they'll wait and see what happens at Cass. Because if they follow in UEFA on a big ban and go, yeah, here you go, you've, we're going to take 30 points off you every season for those four seasons. And you know, it, that means trophies are taken off them. Can you imagine, you know, that you're talking about a legal battle there. You wait, City might get two years down the line and think, oh, it's not worth it anymore. We've, already, we've served our time. If it meant fighting for the titles that they've won... There's no way City would give that up, I don't think. City would go. And never mind going after UEFA for 10 years. They'd, I'm sure they'd go after the Premier League. Now, we always finish the show with uh, some uh, Q&A from the audience. Uh, Dan Stojic on Twitter asks, uh, any idea on the long-term plan post-PEP? He looks to be staying, but pre-PEP everything was about getting things in place to bring him in, not seeing much about what happens after. Yeah, absolutely. I think... Um I was thinking about this a few months ago. So if we look at this just without the whole lens of FFP now, 
And the whole point of, again, when the owners came in, I think it's fair to say the goal was always get Guardiola. I always think it was get Messi as well, which we've discussed. But it's almost like, yeah, as, as Dan says, get Guardiola and they've got it. But what does happen afterwards? Like, what is, what is the next plan? What does the next 10 years look like? Um, by all accounts, they only think there's a handful of coaches in the world who could manage City. And by a handful, I mean two or three. And then they have to, you know, do they risk the situation where they never get... Who they want. The, who they want. You know, let's say for argument's sake, and I've no idea if this is the case, but let's say there's three, and one of them is... Pochettino, one of them's Nagelsmann, and one of them is Ten Hag, the Ajax manager. If none of those are, if Guardiola leaves at the end of his contract in 2021, and Nagelsmann has just gone to Manchester United, let's say. Pochettino Pochettino's gone to Real Madrid, and uh, Ten Hag's gone to Bayern Munich. What are they going to do then? So do they start thinking now, and I mean, look, the way that obviously this is different because they went for Guardiola and they got Pochettino, they got Pellegrini, sorry, to sign that contract extension. They got Guardiola in and they just did it because they needed to do it. Maybe if it's all on the table, you would imagine this summer they will probably say, look, Pep, are you going to stay or are you not? Because we need to know. And maybe they announce it at the start of the season, which wouldn't necessarily be great for City because every, every week it's going to be, you know, if City are five points behind in November... People could be like, oh, you know, is your contract situation is it having an effect? or whatever? Yeah, yeah. But yes, but it might be that behind closed doors, they agree that Guardiola, for argument's sake, is going, and then they would speak to Pochettino and say, don't go anywhere. We'll get you next year. And that might be the situation. But I mean, what, as for what the plan is, we don't know. But by all accounts, obviously, they're, they're still going to be in it. You know, they're still, they're still got the, they've still got the stomach for the fight as far as FFP goes. They're still going to be planning for what City looks like in the next two, three, four, five years. So part of that will be getting the next manager in, but there's very few they actually see. And like I say, I don't think they would be stupid enough because for all of this FFP stuff and for all these wrongdoings, alleged or otherwise, and no matter the source of this income, they have actually been smart with how they use it. They're not going to... They've been stupid in the way that they've actually come up, come about getting the money and they've been caught now. Um, but they've been smart with how they've used their money and how they've planned... So you would imagine they would continue that planning and they would make sure if Pep doesn't stay for longer, they will be in a position to get the manager they want afterwards. They won't want to be straggling around, get, like, just like, approaching any old manager because Guardiola announces. A bit like company. Company announced at the end of last season, oh, I'm going to go, which com- caught them completely on the hop. I don't think they'll let that happen with Pep. And finally, 12th Blue asks, are there any injury updates? We've seen Laporte and Mendy back in training, but are they fit and ready to build momentum for Madrid? There was a story that I would tend to believe that the Sane was targeting the second leg against Real Madrid, which thinks, well, oh, that's a long time ago, a long time away. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I think it was before the West Ham game, which was obviously cancelled, Guardiola was asked about Sane. He said he's still a few weeks away. It just depends what he means by weeks, because, you know, we've had a couple of weeks since then, and Madrid's next week. And, you know, maybe he could play 20 minutes against West Ham, or he could play 20 minutes against Leicester. And maybe, if Sterling's not fit, he could start against Real Madrid. But... I don't know, it seems like it seems like Sane won't be able to, to start against Madrid. I could be wrong on that, I must admit. Because certainly, as much as I'm glad to be asked about something that's not FFP, <laughs> I haven't actually been focusing on much else the last couple of days. The other thing is Laporte. I think Laporte should be okay. From all I heard before this break and why he wasn't playing, I think Laporte should be okay. 
and barring a big setback for Mendy, and I've not obviously there were training pictures on Saturday. I didn't actually study them too closely. I just saw the smiles on everyone's faces. As far as I know, I think Mendy's okay as well. So. If I'm guessing, I would say Laporte and Mendy would play. Not sure about Sane. Just quickly on Mendy, because uh, City don't actually have a left-back, do they, for, for uh, the game against West Ham? Because Zinchenko's suspended. Yeah, um, they could use Cancelo again. Um, not always look brilliant, but they could use him. Um, Laporte might be fit and they might play him there. But then, imagine playing Laporte <laughs> at centre-back when you've got Fernandinho and Otamendi or Garcia at centre-back or whatever. I mean, fine, if it was Garcia, if it was Garcia and Fernandinho, it wouldn't be, like, that would be fine. But, Playing, uh, playing Laporte at left-back would really be, what the hell is going on? <laughs> How have you got into this position, indeed? Uh, right, well, that's it for this week's Why Always Us. You've been listening to the Athletic City correspondent, Sam Lee. Yeah, thanks for sticking with us. And me, David Mooney. We'll be back next week. Don't forget, for ad-free podcasts, you can subscribe to The Athletic and listen through the app. You can get a 40% discount now by using the code MANCITYPOD. Pod. <laughs>